<clears throat> Let's pray. Father, we know we're in your presence all the time. We know that you're everywhere. If we take the wings of the morning and fly to the farthest part of the sea, you are there. If we make our bed in death, you're there. That darkness is like light to you. That you know us, and you know us better than we know ourselves. You sift our spirit, you sift our heart. You know all the details of our lives. And you love us anyhow. And you forgive us of our sins. And Father, I pray that you will speak through your word this morning and through your spirit. That the word will go out and penetrate our hearts. That we will be changed because we came into your presence and we came under the judgment of your word. Send your Holy Spirit, Father, and bring revival to each one of us and to our church and to our land. We ask in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. There's a passage that I have talked with you about before. Uh, Back in Daniel, there are actually two chapters in Daniel. If you have an NIV study Bible... Daniel 2 and 7 set up the 400-year gap between the Old and New Testament. God revealed to Daniel what was going to happen in the next four or 500 years. Daniel actually got this vision sometime back in the 6th century B.C., So 5, maybe 520, 530, he was an older man. He had been taken out from Jerusalem as a young man in the first deportation in 596 B.C. And he had been his whole life in in, uh, Jerusalem up to that point, and then he's now living in Babylon a thousand miles away to the northeast. And uh, Babylon doesn't speak Hebrew the way Daniel did. The Babylonians speak their own language. It's called several names, Babylonian, Chaldean, Aramaic. The area is called Aram. Abraham himself came from that area. He was called by God a wandering Aramean. So he spoke Aramaic. He learned that, and he learned the wisdom of the Babylonians in Babylon. He already had a lot of native wisdom. And if you've read the first chapter, you know 
that he was offended by the kind of food they tried to feed him. Uh, Hebrew word is pothbog. Nobody knows for sure what it means, but it probably means bloody meats. And he refused to eat that. And he asked his uh, master, who was uh, over all the young men that were learning wisdom, he asked if he could just eat seeds. That's the Hebrew word that's used there. Just eat, you know, grain, nuts, fruits, and vegetables. And uh, the man said, uh, I don't want you to be weaker than the others. I don't want to do this because the king will be angry. And Daniel said, well, give us a try for ten days. And then, if we're not in good shape, put us back on the meat. So they ate vegetarian for ten days, and they were better looking, in better health, in better shape than the people around them eating the king's dainties. So uh, Daniel had stood up for what he believed. And uh, the master of those wise men, those young men that were learning wisdom, caused all of them then to change to a diet, a vegetarian diet. And so here's Daniel, this young man has already changed the structure of what's going on in Babylon. And in chapter 2, Daniel's still a young man. Nebuchadnezzar has a vision. And uh, we've talked about this here before with you. I remember designing it. It's a, a vision of a, a great statue. And uh, the head was of gold. The chest and shoulders of silver. The belly and thighs of bronze. And the legs of iron. And the feet of iron and clay. And you know iron and clay won't stick together. And so he had this dream about this great statue. And then he said... He couldn't remember the dream. He woke up. It was, it shocked him so much that he woke up in a cold sweat and couldn't remember what he had dreamed. You ever do that? Have a nightmare and you wake up and you can't remember what it was that terrified you? Uh, he said, the thing is gone from me. Well, what had happened is in that dream, God had cut out a rock without human hands. And that rock had come down and hit the statue on the feet and hit it so hard. The word that's used for hit is the word for (laughs) clapping the hands. It means bang, 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 bang. It pulverized the statue. And the rock took over. And the rock grew and became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. you know. And then he woke up and he was terrified and couldn't remember what he dreamed. So he called in the wise men. Can you imagine? And and he said, now, I want you to tell me my dream and the interpretation. 
And they said, well, well, you know, we'll tell you the interpretation if you tell us the dream. The thing is gone from me. You tell me the dream and the interpretation or I will destroy all you, all your families. These uh, eastern despots had total control. Like the Roman emperor. And they were terrified. And Daniel heard about this and went into the king, got permission to speak, and said, O king, I will tell you tomorrow, you know, how to keep a man in suspense for 24 hours. I'll tell you tomorrow. So the next day, during the night, Daniel prayed to God, please tell me what that dream was. Tell me so I can help Nebuchadnezzar. So he told him. God revealed it to him. And he showed him the statue, and he showed him the rock, and he showed him the rock becoming a great mountain. And Daniel suddenly understood, because God revealed it to him. And he went to Nebuchadnezzar and told him what he had dreamed, and then told him the interpretation of the dream. Interpretation, here are four kingdoms. Gold, that's you, King Nebuchadnezzar. You are the the head of gold. Superior to all the others, above all the others in the statue. And then, chest and shoulders, two sides of silver. Two sides become the Medes and the Persians. The Medo-Persian Empire invaded Babylon. Now, if you've ever studied the city of Babylon, you know they had three concentric walls 300 feet high, 30 stories high, built by slave labor from the nations they conquered. 200 feet wide at the bottom, 50 feet wide at the top, 300 feet high, 30 stories. Three of them, one inside the other, inside the other. And they con- they brag, no one can ever conquer Babylon. We have walls that will keep any enemy out. No one can conquer us. And they thought they would exist forever. But the Medes and the Persians were pretty pretty sharp people. And they decided to dam up the river Euphrates that flowed under the walls. And in the night when every all the kings and all the nobles were drunk, these guys marched in in the riverbed, took over the city without firing a shot, killed those in control, and took over. Amazing. And this is what Daniel predicts. And then the bronze is a mixture of brass and tin, which is a strong substance. This this is the Greek Empire. And if you have the NIV Study Bible, you can turn to chapter 7 and look in the footnote, and it'll outline this, and then it'll outline chapter 7. This rock set out without human hands is Jesus Christ. He is the rock. 
and it slams against the statue over and over, pulverizing it. This is the Roman Empire. Daniel says, during the days of those kings, God will establish His kingdom. The word mountain means kingdom. And Daniel tells Nebuchadnezzar this interpretation. And Nebuchadnezzar uh, rewards Daniel and puts a gold chain around him and puts him puts royal robes on him. And Daniel becomes the highest of the wise men in Babylon and becomes the chief uh, advisor for Nebuchadnezzar. And then, five chapters later, chapter 7, second dream. A dream of an ocean that's stirred up And out of the ocean come these great beasts. First, a lion with wings. Second, a bear. Only the bear is turned over on his side. That indicates there's two sides, the Medes and the Persians. The lion is Babylon. So you got a bear, you got a leopard, and the leopard has four wings which means it's universal, the number four, and it means it moves very fast. And then that's the Greek Empire under Alexander the Great. And then the last one is a great and terrible beast with iron teeth. Iron, matching the iron over here. Talking about the Roman Empire. So Daniel interprets this. Now the sea... We're told in Revelation 19, the sea is human history. And when when the prophets see it, it's always in chaos. It's always stormy and windy. And the sea, I mean, you never see the sea still. Have you ever seen the sea still? It's always, even when there's the weather is nice, there's always waves rolling in. There's always waves out there. Because the sea is in chaos. Now later, John gets to go to heaven in the book of Revelation, chapter 4, and he sees the sea in heaven, and it's as clear as crystal, as smooth as glass. From God's perspective, history is controlled. From man's perspective, history is out of control. And so here, the lion with wings. There's so much taught by Daniel about this. And then the Medo-Persian Empire. This is Babylon, Medo-Persia. The leopard that moves so fast and conquers the world, Alexander the Great, left grammar teachers, Greek teachers in every city, forced all the populace he conquered to learn Greek. He was an evangelist for the Greek language and culture and forced his beliefs on everybody and yet accepted religions from all over, that's fine too, but you need to know this. And then, and that's a good thing, because by the time Paul the Apostle comes around, he speaks Greek along with his other languages, and he can go into any place in the world, known world back then, and speak the language. Didn't have to learn a language before he went into a culture. And then this beast with iron teeth stomps all these others. And they blow about on the wind. 
So here's, here's the picture. There are four empires that are going to come, Daniel tells the Jews. The Jews need to know this so they know what's coming. So they can prepare for it. So when the Babylonians are conquered, it's the Medo-Persians who take over. And Daniel becomes the advisor to Darius the Mede, the first king. And then they go on through several others and ends up with uh, other kings of Persia. Uh, just an amazing man. He lived, probably prophesied, between 70 and 90 years. Uh, highly thought of throughout the empire. And uh, in the middle of these, this 400-year gap, Malachi, Malachi the prophet, shut the Old Testament down about 404 B.C. Here's the end of the Old Testament. The last word in the Hebrew Bible is the word cheres, which means uh, a curse or destruction. And the Jews don't like the fact that the uh, Hebrew Bible ends with that word. So they take an earlier verse from chapter 3, verse 1, and move it down under that verse. And in small print in their manuscripts, they wrote, Elijah must come first before the great and terrible day of the Lord. A prediction of John the Baptist. Matthew 11 says John the Baptist was the Elijah who was to come, if you can understand that. And so here's Malachi closing the Old Testament. And then here is Jesus and John the Baptist, both born the same year. 5 B.C., our calendars are off. We know it's 5 B.C., it has to be between four and, or 6 and 4 B.C. because Quirinius was governor of Syria from, four to six, from 6 to 4 B.C., counting down. Uh, Luke tells us that in the beginning of his gospel. Quirinius was governor of Syria. So Jesus had to be born somewhere back there between 6 and 4 B.C. And then... <clears throat> The Chinese keep records that go back to the Tower of Babel. And in their records, they speak of a star, a comet, that they followed across the sky in 5 B.C., very early in 5 B.C. And they followed it for 70 days. You, have any of you seen a comet? Pretty ama- I don't mean the stuff they cleanse the sink with, but... You know, uh, I had a chance to speak for a fellow out in West Texas who needed a break, and he had uh, several months that he was taking a break, and I flew out every weekend and went down to Crane, Texas, and spoke in a church down there a couple times a a week. And uh, there was a comet, and I think it was a hail bop, and I, two guys named Hale and Bop discovered it, and that's why they call it that. And 
I could see it every week. It had moved maybe two or three degrees every week. And you could see the tail of it sticking out. Well, this comet, according to the Chinese scholars, as the comet moved across the sky, the tail went up like this. And then we know that the Magi in Matthew, they saw the comet. It's the only celestial event between 10 BC and, I mean 20 BC and 10 AD. The only event recorded. And they saw this thing and they followed it, you remember? And they probably followed it as long as they could. They saw it coming in the east. And the farther it went, the more the tail pointed upward until it got over Jerusalem, Bethlehem area, and it's like a finger pointing down to where the Messiah would be born. And these men knew that somehow, maybe from, maybe from Balaam the prophet back in Numbers. Excuse me? Might have been Daniel also. But they certainly knew that this comet was a sign that there was a king born. And you know the story. They brought gifts to Jesus, and they worshiped Jesus. He was probably a toddler by that time, or very a very young child. And they worshiped this very young child, which is amazing. And then, uh, of course, they'd gotten Herod's uh, input on where the Messiah was to be born, Bethlehem. And so... Uh, when God revealed to them not to go back to Herod and tell them where Jesus was, they left. And Herod ended up, remember, the massacre of the innocents. As soon as Jesus is born, Satan tries to destroy him. Herod went after him. But God warned Joseph, and they got up in the middle of the night and took off and got away from that massacre. So this is the... This is the time. You've got 400 years here between the time the Old Testament's closed and the New Testament begin, uh, events begin to happen. Uh, John the Baptist is born six months before Jesus. We know exactly when John the Baptist was born. We know because his family is the family of Ahijah, the, Ahijah the prophet. That was his, uh, Luke tells us that was the uh, group that he was in when he was chosen to serve. And that group serves uh, in uh, mid-May to mid-June, the group of Ahijah. So we know when his father was in the temple and when he met the angel and found out that he was going to have a son after all these years, he didn't believe the angel. Remember that? How can I know this? How can I know that we're going to have a son after all these years of prayer? And the angel said, since you didn't believe me, you will not be able to speak until the child is born. Remember that? Incredible story. So John is born nine months later after they go home. So let's say she becomes pregnant June or late June or in July or maybe early August. So John is born sometime around... The Passover in the spring, many scholars say he was born in a Passover hut. Anyway, Jesus is born six months later. 
And John, when he comes preaching, says, the one who comes after me, six months younger, is really before me because he was before me. You know, Jesus is the I am. So he is there at the, before the creation of the world, but he's also there as a baby after John. So he who comes after me is really before me, and I'm not worthy to untie his sandal. Well, what happened in this 400 years? Four hundred years. Well, Daniel basically tells us, but he doesn't tell us the details. He just tells us the overarching empires. There are four empires. Well, some of the details is what I want to talk to you about. After Cyrus the Persian, in the year 536 B.C., Now, I don't know if you know this, probably the scholars among you know, that back in Isaiah chapters 40 through 44, Cyrus's name is called by God about 120 years before he's born. Isaiah says, Cyrus will be the shepherd of my people. He will be my chosen one. To let the people go free. And when according to the according to Josephus, Daniel took Isaiah's scroll and showed King Cyrus that he had been chosen by God to set free the nation of Israel. And so Cyrus said, I'll do better than that. I'll do everything I can to please God. I'll free all nations. And so he set all the nations free to go back to their homes. And very few went back. Very few. Ezra led a group back to Jerusalem. When they got back there, they wanted to rebuild the temple. But they couldn't even find the city. Because the... Babylonians had plowed up the streets. Nebuchadnezzar came three times to Jerusalem, and the third time he was so angry that he decimated the city. He threw all the city, the rubble of the city, down into the deep valleys around Jerusalem. Jerusalem was up on a high hill. There are seven hills around that area. And Jerusalem was up on a high hill, and they tore it up and plowed up the streets with the teams of oxen. Can you imagine? He was so angry. And he threw every stone of Jerusalem down into the valleys. And when the Jews came back after 70 years' captivity, they looked for the city and couldn't find it. They said it looked like a forest on a hill. And so they began looking in the valleys, and they found the stones of the city and began bringing those up. And uh, there are a lot of stories connected with that, including the chief cornerstone that they found that uh, was rejected by the builders, but then re-implanted as the perfect stone, as the foundation for the temple. And that stone was Jesus. You know, again and again in Scripture, He is the rock. He is the cornerstone. He is the capstone. 
So in that 400-year period, they rebuilt the temple, but they didn't finish it. And they're rebuilding their houses and finishing their houses, putting them before God. And the prophets come, Haggai, Zechariah, Haggai, an old man, preaches that they must build the temple or God will curse them. Put the temple first. Put God first. This is what God has always wanted. Because God is first. That's why He wants to be first. It's reality. You know, we, you're talking about the beautiful double rainbow, the full circle. Uh, some of the things we look at that are so beautiful that God gives us just for us. You gotta remember that the one who gave that is more important than the beauty of what you're looking at. The foundation of it all. The creator of it all. The designer of it all. The one who plasters the western sky with a hundred miles of sunset. Like a gigantic painting. Every day. It's just second nature to him to do miracles for us. But remember, he is the source. This was the problem with these Jews. They were building their houses first instead of building the temple first. God has to be first because he is first. So, they built a temple and Haggai and Zechariah came and said, finish it. Finish the temple first. Stop working on your homes. Put God first. And they did that. And they finished the temple. And they dedicated, they had already dedicated the temple before they finished it. Because they wanted to fulfill Matthew, uh, uh, Jeremiah's prophecy of 70 years. So they dedicated the temple 70 years to the day of the destruction of the temple under the Babylonians. Exact fulfillment of Jeremiah's prediction that they would be in exile 70 years. Well, then Nehemiah is moping around, and the king, Artaxerxes, sees that, and he asks Nehemiah, what's wrong? Nehemiah said, my city, my, my temple has been built, but my city has no walls. And he said, then go and build the walls. And Nehemiah, the wall builder, went back. And he had such a commitment to God that when some men were getting drunk and not doing the work on the wall, Nehemiah jumped on them and attacked them and pulled out their hair and beat them up. To get them to line up and do what they're supposed to do. So they went back to building the wall. And everybody tried to stop him from finishing the wall. But he would not turn aside from it. And he finished the wall of Jerusalem. For protection. People even wrote to the king. Artaxerxes asking him to stop the work. But Artaxerxes wrote back and said, I have given them permission to do the work. So temples built, and they perk along for a few years, and then 
After Alexander the Great has conquered the world and spread the Greek language and culture and, and religion everywhere, Alexander, at the age of 33, died of a fever. And he had four generals under him. And those four generals divided up the kingdom into four parts. And there were two generals that are important to the Bible. One is Ptolemy. Who was down in Egypt. Can't spell. That's a G. Uh, Ptolemy ruled Egypt. And Seleucus. ruled Syria. And by Syria, I mean all the way down to Israel. Ptolemy ruled Israel. And Ptolemy was a good guy. He was he gave the Jews their freedom of religion. He let them do what they wanted. Until a man named Antiochus III took over for Seleucus. I'm going to put that name up here. Antiochus III was called Antiochus the Great. Anytime somebody's called the Great by the Jews, it means he treats them well. And even though he had conquered that area, he allowed the Jews their freedom of religion. And so they perking along fine. This is the year about 170 B.C., and uh, all of a sudden, he dies, and his son takes over, Antiochus IV. And he named himself Antiochus Epiphanes. And Epiphany is an appearance of a god. He thought he was a god. He wanted people to worship him. He wanted people to turn to Greek culture. And so he came down into Israel. And attacked the Jews and conquered them. And the Jews were hiding the Torah, the Word of God, in bread. They would bake bread and put the manuscript inside to protect it so he couldn't find it. <coughs> they were burying the Word of God in the ground because Antiochus, they called him, the Jews called him Antiochus the pig. Because he came in and sacrificed a sow in the temple on the altar of incense, spread the blood of the pig all over the inside of the temple to pollute the temple. He's trying to stop Judaism. He made circumcision illegal. He made any worship of Jewish, uh, following Jewish rites illegal. And would kill people if they would worship God. He wanted them to become Greek. He was a Hellenizer. The word Helen, the name Helen, is the Greek word for Greek. And he was a Greekizer. He wanted everybody to become a Greek. He shut down the Jewish religion, changed all their holidays, changed everything, forced the Jews 
to eat pig flesh, which is a, you know, was a sin to the Jews. If you know much about pigs, you know there really are unclean animals. God said they are. You can stack pigs four high in cages, feed only the top one, and all of them thrive. They'll eat, okay, anything. Their own poop, their own vomit. They're worse than dogs. So pigs, when he did this and forced the Jews to eat pig, they were devastated. And they felt polluted, and the temple was polluted. So a man named Mattathias Maccabeus, Mattathias Maccabeus, maybe you've heard of the book of Maccabees. Uh, he took his family, seven sons, and attacked uh, Antiochus the pig, and finally drove him away from the area. All seven of his sons, six of them were killed. And the youngest son was Joshua. And he rededicated the temple. And they had one day's worth of oil, olive oil, to burn in the lamps of the temple. And that, uh, that lamp burned for, for eight days. And so, according to the story, that became the eighth holiday of Judaism. We call it Hanukkah. The word Hanok means to dedicate. When they rededicated the temple was in 164 B.C. They had a hundred years of peace. And in 63 B.C., the Roman general Pompey came in to the city of Jerusalem, and the Romans had conquered Jerusalem. And so this sets up the stage for Jesus and John the Baptist under Roman authority being establishing God's kingdom, this rock that grew to become a great mountain. So in prophecy, the word kingdom means mountain, or mountain means kingdom. The word rock means something to establish our lives on. Jesus is our rock. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for watching over history and protecting it. Thank you for bringing your word down to us. And I pray, Father, that we will not waste our time on it, that we will spend time every day reading your word, studying it, and thinking about you. You've done so much for us. You've taken our sins away in the body of Jesus on the cross. And you've given us a hope for the future by raising him from the dead. And we can't wait to be transformed to be like him. In his name, amen. Okay, thank you all.